welcome to the Chinese Revolutions podcast, a podcast about how China came to be the way that it is today, looking at modern Chinese history through Chinese revolutions starting from about 1839. I am your host, Nathan Bennett. I lived in China for seven years. This podcast is a sort of love letter and farewell letter to that country for me personally. Uh, this episode will be about the McCartney mission. We'll get to what that is in a bit. Um, I'm looking to get up just the usual announcements. I'm trying to get up to 100 paid subscribers to start producing supplementary episodes. Um, how you can support the podcast now for free. Uh, Give me a rating and a review on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, look it up, give me a rating, you can do that for free. Um, I guess it's the most valuable thing you can give your time. Um, buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast, chineserevolutions.substack.com. If you'd like to get more involved, you can email me at chineserevolutions at gmail.com. Uh, Let's see, this last week I was on the Man Tools podcast at mantoolsmedia.com with Eric Madrid and Trevor Lane. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really enjoyed talking to them about what it's like to live in China. Um, also, it was you know, really great seeing some of what they knew about American history. Like, I've been outside of America for so long that my appreciation of the finer details of recent American history, they, they really brought some good parallels. Um, you can find the exact link to that episode in the show notes. Um, again, mantoolsmedia.com. So great time with them. Uh, here we go for this episode. Uh, this, okay, we're basing a lot of this on Imperial Twilight by Stephen Platt. This is the McCartney expedition left England in 1792, got to China 1793. Let's review briefly some previous attempts. Uh, we did an episode about the Flint Affair um, in 1759. A translator working for the East India Company tries to submit a petition directly to Beijing. His petition is kind of accepted, but he's jailed for the effort. His Chinese teacher is executed, and the teacher's head is put on display. Let that be a lesson to the lot of you helping these foreigners uh, write things in good Chinese. Uh, then later, uh, let's see, what is it? This is like th 20 years later. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Cathcart tries to go to China mid-1780s to open an embassy, uh, you know, uh, open diplomatic relations directly with China, but he died on the way at the time, you know, so it's if the personal representative dies, that's it. You know, it's nice to make the effort, but, like, if the guy chosen for the job dies, that's it. So the aims of this expedition, uh, they were to open up further trade up the uh, Chinese coast, open more uh, cities for uh, direct trade, 
uh, past Canton. And like, like that's really the main thing. Open up more trade with China. You know, we want to get past just this one city. Uh, and the way... We'll get to the way they're going to do it. Let's look at the ambassador here, George McCartney, First Earl McCartney. Uh, he was a colonial administrator. He was a governor of Grenada in the in the Caribbean, Madras in India, and of the Cape Colony, that's South Africa. So, And as a diplomat, he was present for the signing of the Treaty of Paris at the end of the Seven Years' War, a huge win for the British. Uh, from Wikipedia... Uh, is that he's the guy who originally came up with the idea of the Brit of the British having a vast empire on which the sun never sets. So the sun never sets on the British Empire. That's that goes back to McCartney. So he witnessed the British defeat of a European peer, and he saw British gl global ascendancy. All this he did. All this was done in his sight, in his memory. He was there uh, as governor of some different colonial holdings. He saw it in action. So by the time he goes to China, this is all in his past. So he has a pretty accurate notion of Britain being a pretty important uh, upcoming world power, that this is all in his mind. As a side note... Uh, when he was younger, he served as an envoy to Russia, but he wasn't made an ambassador because he apparently seduced two women in the court of Catherine the Great. So it's it's a, interesting to slip in these little sort of anecdotes about these figures. Uh, they are very, very human people. We're about to find a little bit more about just how human McCartney was. Uh, this is a quote directly from... This is a this is something directly from Imperial Twilight by Stephen Platt. Uh, so here's how McCartney was preparing for this expedition to China. In, anticip in excited anticipation of the Oriental splendor of the Chinese court, at least as he had read about it in fanciful accounts and extrapolated from his experiences in India. McCartney had prepared the most colorful and grandiose outfit he could muster, a suit of spotted mulberry velvet, as his valet described it, with a diamond star and his ribbon over which he wore the full habit of the Order of the Bath with his hat. The hat. Do, do knights of the bath have a hat? Anyway. And the plume of feathers, which form part of it. Which form a part of it. Dressed up like a peacock, he felt certain to make a grand impression in a country that he and most of his entourage, to say nothing of his countrymen, had only ever encountered in their imaginations. Now, China is a fantastic place to go in your imagination. Um, it's a fantastic place to go in person, but it's uh, it really lends itself to imagination. Like, China is mysterious because humanity is mysterious, but China is unfamiliar, so you really see the mystery front and center. Uh, you know, maybe you're familiar with what your mother, father, husband, wife, brother, sister, what they do, but do you really know them anyway? Uh, you can kind of compare 
McCartney going to the Emperor of China, like a U.S. president going to visit the Pope. Papal splendor is supposed to be about the Church, about Christ, all that. And even the U.S. president and his the accompanying delegation, they dress soberly and with respect for the Pope. There's apparently some code about... Uh, whether women visiting get to wear a white veil or a black veil in the presence of the Pope, like if they're Catholic or Protestant, that even Protestants who fought literal wars at times to be not Catholic, there's a certain code that they follow when they visit the Pope. Because although they don't recognize him as the head of the church, He's an important person, and all this splendor and stuff, it's not just about him uh, making, you know, kind of making a uh, bow in how you dress to the way that the Pope does things is respect for his office. Uh, so the, the Chinese imperial court is similarly angled. It's about the grandeur of China, about the superiority of Chinese civilization. It's not just a function with bright colors and loud music because that's how they like their parties. Now, Chinese parties can be, uh, you know, like there's a lot of red. There's so much red you will hear it in your dreams. Um, the, the, you know, sometimes they like loud music. I didn't really go to a lot of Chinese parties, actually. Um, but again, with the Catholic parallel, this isn't about the emperor's ego. Like, he has specific stuff he's supposed to do. The, the pope doesn't just have people kissing his toe. Do they still do that, by the way? Because he's just that awesome, or else, you know, like, people would seek out their local bishops and cardinals to kiss their toes. Um, the, so this is, so McCartney is dressing for, a party. He's dressing for everybody's showing up to look good. He's he's dressing up like I would imagine a Latin American or a, an African party would be like. Like you you dress loud because everybody is. Everybody's having a good time, so you're gonna dress loud and proud because you know. You're glad everybody's there. Everybody's glad you're there, so you show up like you're cool because you know you're cool. Everybody knows you're cool, and everybody's dressing like that, and it's fine. Um. So the so let's let's talk a little bit more about the the mission here. The mission is a joint venture by the British government and the East India Company, which ran a large majority of the trade through Canton, Guangzhou. Guangzhou is the modern name, so if you want to find it on a map. The, the goal, again, is to open up Chinese ports further up the coast, greater access to volume of Chinese products and trade with China. So some facts and figures about that. In 1784, the British government lowered the tea tariff to 12.5% instead of basically doubling the price with taxes. Um, so that meant that the, the British East India Company had a greater incentive to trade more tea, 
uh, because they didn't have to pay, like they could lower the prices and they didn't have to uh, you know, give so much to the British government. Um, also, British cotton textiles were selling very well to Chinese merchants. Um, again, draw, drawing this from Stephen Platt. So it's not like the British had nothing that they could offer. It's that the civilizational mindset... Like, Think about how uh, the United States and the Soviet Union traded during the Cold War. Even though there was very little mutual recognition of their uh, respective uh, systems of government, like the Soviet Union wanted to have a nice world revolution and all the world becomes communist, and the United States was not in favor of that. But still, they uh, needed to trade, and so like, there's that factoid about the... Uh, about Pepsi at one point owning the world's, like, one of the largest navies in the world. Excuse me. Um, Pepsi, uh, that, that's that's not entirely true, but it, it shows you some of the workaround that they had to do. Like, they, they had to trade commodities rather than money directly, or you know, some of the, like, some of these communist powers would have to do things in order to gain foreign currency, because their own at-home currencies were were worthless. So trade happened because there was a value on either side, but the political questions kept, uh, you know, kept efficiency of trade out of the spotlight. It it kept that away from you know the the focus. Uh, the so when you look at the East India Company directors uh, behind this mission, they didn't really want to rock the boat with China. They they were rich, fat, and happy where they were, but the British industrialists back home pushed the government to do what they could do to go ahead, no matter what the East India Company thought about how this might affect relations with China. And just remember, the East India Company was very helpful to the, to the British government. There was that, that huge loan that they gave uh, earlier in the 1700s, I was close to 1700, uh, but expanding the British economy um, and the increased power of other industrialists and other traders, this was, a, this was rapidly displacing the East India Company as the most important voice in this affair, as we will find out in upcoming episodes here. Um, so for this exact expedition, the Royal Navy ship Lion and the East India Company East Indiamen, and East Indiamen was a special 56-gun type ship, uh, that was as heavily armed as a naval ship, but it, it was a merchant ship. Uh, the Hindustan, yeah, as a side side note, like if you think about what government does for trade, uh, government mean, uh, you know, means that pirates and robbers aren't going to steal your stuff if you send it around this if you send it around the world to sell it. So pay your taxes, people. Pay your taxes. Um, 
this this expedition was supplied with the best officers, including Captain Erasmus Gower, who twice circumnavigated the world. He was skilled at navigation in unknown waters. Uh, this expedition, they they had the choice of off. They had complete choice of officers, um, if I remember correctly. Uh, they were also looking to gather naval intelligence, make an updated coastal map for future expeditions to China, and they were trying to subtly make the point that. Uh, Britain is powerful, that trade with Britain is profitable. And to be fair, they're going to try to say exactly that. Uh, It's a communication principle. If you want to say something, say that thing. People are very bad at picking up your subtle meaning. If if your subtle meaning is a ha-ha, that's a joke, it's it's fine. But if your subtle meaning is is not a very well-established convention, then it's going to get missed. Okay, so they're, they're trying to, to make a point, and they're trying to write their message on paper that would carry that message effectively. But it's not going to go that way. Uh, think about the Chinese perspective. They've been the continental power for, like... Ever. Travelers from far away are coming from the I-don't-know-what-this-is place. So that's the kind of thing where you get pigeonholed, boxed up, sidelined. Um, even if Chinese officials somewhere have some notion of the power of these outsiders, it hasn't fully come home to them. So I'm actually going to have to end the episode for this week. Um, life has gotten a little busy So next week, we're going to have a special double episode. Part one, I'm going to tell you how it went. More about the kinds of doodads and gadgets that they brought with them for this expedition. And two, we're going to talk about the opium trade and the Chinese efforts to suppress it as my schedule dictates. So again, this has been the Chinese Revolutions Podcast. If you'd like to support us, uh, well, it's more fun to say us. Um, I, I am the production team and the... Anyway, um, buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast, or you can join the substack at chineserevolutions.substack.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find us... Uh, you can find the exact links on what's my own website? ChineseRevolutions.com. There we go. How could I blank on that? And please send me an email, ChineseRevolutions at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Again, this has been Nathan Bennett, and I will see you next week for a very special double episode.